0: Today's topic is search engine optimization, or as it's more commonly known as, SEO. It's a massive topic, but we're going to make it super accessible on today's episode. This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host, and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Well, here we go on episode number 76, speaking with Will Critchlow, the CEO and founder of Distilled, a leading SEO agency that works to help increase traffic SEO, of course, search engine optimization. And we'll dig into some of these terms, but big picture, I want you to realize as we go into some of the details about what it is that factors into SEO and the Google algorithms and whatnot, that there is tremendous upside. There's a reason why big companies pay money to do this because it works. And it's not just for people selling widgets. It's also for those selling their cause and their organization. So I hope this is enough of a primer to get you started. We're gonna throw around a lot of links and websites and pieces. Don't worry, because as you know, we have show notes, which are gonna be available on the site, wholewhale.com slash podcast. So if you're on your walk to work being like, oh, I need to remember this. Don't worry, wholewhale.com slash podcast is gonna have a ton of of resources for this. Enjoy. I'm here with Will Critchlow from Distilled. He is the CEO and uh, also founded Distilled, which is a leading SEO agency. Will, thanks for joining us.
1: Great to be on here. Thanks for having me.
0: So, for our audience that has no clue what an SEO agency might do, can you explain a little bit about what Distill does and and maybe why you founded it?
1: Yeah, sure thing. In fact, let's start with the founding, because we got started here, I'm based here in London, in the UK, and we got started here uh, 12 years ago, 2005, and we were building websites, mainly for small local businesses, and, we really wanted to be the, um, the, the, the firm that added business value. Back then, a lot of stuff was about flashy design, literally design in flash sometimes, uh, but also just very design centric. And we wanted to be adding business value to our, to our clients. And we came from the technical side, but it was the business thing that was the motivator. And all our clients started asking us, how do we get more, uh, more business from the web, more traffic to our websites, more people seeing our message? And, back then the only answer to that question pretty much was search uh you know even back then google was pretty dominant and this was before facebook news feed before twitter and so we got into figuring out how could our clients get more visible in in google how could they uh create content that that would be found create the right content create things people were looking for and that evolved into this whole into this whole thing. And so, SEO, search engine optimization, is is the broad practice of uh, gaining visibility in search, being found when uh, when your target market is looking for the things you do.
0: Interesting. So, I type something into uh, Google because I'm looking for, let's say, a widget, and then the search result shows up. And this is not what we pay for. This is in the general results.
1: Yeah, correct. So when you when you do a search, you'll see a whole bunch of different things these days. It used to be that you just see a list of uh, what we refer to as 10 blue links, literally 10 results, each of them are linked to a different web page. These days you'll t- see a whole bunch of stuff. You might see images, news results, uh, a one box, which is that kind of like answer on the side, and you'll see some adverts as well. We actually do run search advertising. We do a bunch of other stuff, but when we're thinking about what, what we call organic SEO, yeah, it's about getting into the results that you don't pay for. And that can be uh, across any of those things I mentioned. So it could be just regular web pages, it might be a news result, it might be an image result, Uh, any of those things.
0: So we have a, I'll say, social impact leaning audience here. Why on earth should we care about the 10 little blue links and nonsense Google's shoving up there? Isn't SEO really just for hotels that are trying to get more people to book them and car rentals and, and that sort of thing?
1: So my argument is, well, it's twofold here. One is, I think, essentially any uh, organization where the internet plays a big part in in what you do, and that can be uh, anything from it's where you raise money to it's where you change hearts and minds to it's where your audience hangs out to it's how you get audiences to your events to any of those things, then search is a huge channel. Um, of how the, the public finds anything, uh, you know, it, it, it's how you it's right at that top of that funnel for for an awful lot of people. It's how they discover new things. It's how they discover new organisations, etc. There's also an untapped area or a relatively less tapped area, I think, around the broader content um, content strategy, I guess, of uh, of social organisations. I know you, you've talked a little bit about this on, on past podcast episodes, but the opportunity to be found and be part of the discussion well before people are doing this specific search where they're trying to find an organization to support or uh, you know somewhere to donate money or, or whatever it might be, well, well before that, where you can just be part of the conversation and you can be uh, making your case, making your argument and winning people over when they're doing their general day-to-day research. Most of the things people search for on Google are non-commercial. The the commercial terms, you know, book Manhattan Hotel or whatever, are um, actually a minority of searches. Most searches are the uncommercial things, people trying to find stuff out.
0: So help me with maybe a framework for understanding it, because right now in my mind it is a giant blob of a trillion searches going on, and some people are looking for puppies and some people for cars, and maybe somebody's looking for my organization. What is the framework? Or frameworks you apply to the searcher to somebody who then turns into organic traffic on a website.
1: Uh, yeah, so the, the there's a couple of different frameworks we apply. One of them is around uh, so there's the kind of old sales and marketing concept of a of a funnel, right? That, of people starting out, not necessarily knowing you at all. And then at the kind of the, the fat end of the funnel is all of the people who've heard of you somehow and then they move gradually through that as they become increasingly more like a, a lead or a prospect or an opportunity or a customer uh, or, you know, obviously in a, in a social impact sense, customer could be, that's a conversion, right? So it could be they become a supporter, they've donated money, or it might be becoming an evangelist and they're, you know, they're telling people about you or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. That, uh, that kind of model is helpful in some senses in terms of, it's useful to create, uh, create create content for people, whatever stage in that life cycle they're at. So, uh, people who've never heard of your organisation, how do they how would they ever come across you? Um, people who have heard of your organisation and are starting to engage a little bit more, what would uh, what would help convince them? What would persuade them to move further through that that process? And then all the way through, past out the other end of the, uh, of that relationship is kind of once they've done the thing. That you'd love them to do, how do they turn into evangelists, how do they turn into the people who are going to uh, refer you to other people or introduce you to other people, and what um, materials and content might you be producing that would help them do that or convince them to do that? So that's one side of it. In terms of actually achieving it, we, uh, we, like I said, we have kind of two frameworks that we think about a lot. One is a, uh, a content matrix. So uh, you your, uh, your audience can look for, look this up if they, if you Google distilled content matrix you'll find a, a post that we that we wrote on the subject which has essentially uh, two axes and it's about um, persuading to entertaining and um, uh, Convincing to converting, and so the the idea is that in each of these kind of segments, you've got um, you're trying to produce content to each of the four um, areas of the two by two. And there's a little bit of kind of consulting speak going on there, but oh, you got a two
0: by two. That's the must have of every consulting agency.
1: Exactly. I mean, it wouldn't be a framework without a a two by two, right? And so um, the the idea being that you you obviously need to create some of the if you like boring content, you know, people do need to know. Um, how your organization is structured and uh, you know the about us page and, and those kind of things and that's probably more at the rational end of the, of the matrix so it's kind of emotional to rational on one axis uh, awareness to what we call purchase on the other and uh, though in, in, you can think of that as convert it doesn't have to be give you money and um, essentially you get these four quadrants which are educate entertain persuade and convert and um, it's useful to be thinking in all of those areas because to, to get a kind of balance across that stuff. And while we're on uh, consulting type models, the other one is a the other thing we use is, is actually how to achieve search visibility, which is a, um, a balanced digital scorecard. The idea being that you need you need to perform in a whole bunch of different areas to do this well. From and the five that we we talk to our clients about a lot are uh, platform, which is basically you need your your technical setup to be good enough. And for a lot of nonprofits or sort of small organizations, that basically means use a good standard platform. You know, Something like WordPress will, will uh, be pretty good out of the box and you can make it really good with just a few, uh, few tweaks. Um, so platform, uh, you need the content and that's the content strategy I've just been talking about. You need an audience and so you need an audience development strategy. You need a plan for how people are gonna find the stuff that you write. Um, you need a a plan for conversion you need a plan to get them to do something and that something might be sign up for an email list it might be give you money it might be recommend you uh, to a friend and you need measurement so you need a plan for telling how this is going so that you can learn and improve
0: yeah these pieces all make sense but perhaps you could share a, a case study where we can maybe dissect with specific words and outcomes how this plays out in the field
1: Yes yeah, so, I mean the, 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 I've got a couple of these that we can talk through and I want to try and make it so that we connect it back to, uh, to, to your audience, uh, audience as much as possible. So uh, our background is, is very much doing this in the corporate world, right So most of our um, hands-on experience is in uh, the, you know, the conversion is a uh, is sale of one form or another. and that's, that's our, our experience. but I think it, we can generalize it and apply it to the, um, uh, to the nonprofit and the social, um, organizations. So, the, the first example is one that we actually started talking about years ago, but it's it's interesting for your audience, I think. So, this is a content strategy piece. So, we worked with a uh, client called Simply Business here in the UK, and this was a, uh, a relatively small organization playing in a very big market. The, the market was insurance, uh, business insurance specifically. So, uh, public liability, professional indemnity, all of those kind of, uh, you know, relatively boring, relatively dry areas and we help them figure out how to uh, how to create a whole context strategy that would appeal to their uh, their real audience. Right? So their real audience is small business owners and those small business owners have a range of concerns and Simply Business wanted to be the small business champion. That was the kind of uh, and this is how I think it starts connecting to the social organizations. If these guys had a they had a mission that was quite um, purposeful. Now, obviously, not in a in a nonprofit sense, but nonetheless, there was a there was a, a purpose to the mission, and it was out of that purpose that we could extract the strategy because they wanted to be the small business champion, and so we set about creating a whole set of resources and guides and content that would uh, educate and inform, and and entertain in some in some cases that target audience, and so that ranged from things like. I mean, actually, some of the stuff we're talking about uh, today, so, you know, how to, how to set up Google, how, how small businesses should set up Google Analytics or, uh, you know, the best hosting or the best WordPress or, or some of it was technical, some of it was more um, uh, related to their core business, but then some of it was more designed to get uh, visibility and coverage and uh, and links and awareness. And it one of the things that um, if your audience doesn't have a kind of deep background in search, people might not realize is that one of the critical things for especially small organizations to grow their visibility in Google and, and to rank that in search is, uh, is the extent to which their website is linked to by other organizations. And it's those links from uh, from media from uh, other nonprofits from basically other websites to your website uh, that give the authority and the trust that helps you perform better in search and so uh, yeah we created a whole bunch of content that was designed to be newsworthy and that could pick up that kind of coverage get those links and drive um, uh, drive the search results
0: nice and what were some of the the outcomes of that?
1: So uh, it was – I mean, we can talk about a lot of the uh, kind of um, geeky – I can geek out on the kind of uh, the metrics that – All right, you're allowed want. to
0: geek out, Will. I'll time you for one minute on those oh, metrics, yeah. but then I'm going to cut you off hard.
1: Well, no, so what, what I was going to say is like <laughs> I could geek out on that stuff. But the, the stuff that actually is um, – uh, I, I want to talk a bit about the, the kind of the business results. So okay, what that makes sense. I'm, was uh, you know we we did a bunch of this stuff that that was you know targeted at the right keywords and got some links and did all the stuff that, that i might geek out over but the the ultimate um, kind of interesting things were firstly they did really well at ranking for a lot of their general business terms that they were targeting so against much much bigger competition uh that um, has been in the market for a long time they ended up ranking you know in the first one or two results for things like professional indemnity insurance, uh, public liability insurance—you know these kind of very broad, very general, very high traffic, critical search terms that, that drove a lot of business for them. They also uh, saw some fascinating second and third order effects. So one of the one of the things that I think was a really interesting one that overlaps uh, heavily with the stuff we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast was um, they found some fascinating data where they found that. People who converted, who had seen some of the content that we produced along the way to their conversion, ended up uh, spending more, staying longer, and referring more other customers to them. And um, that was one of those really fascinating kind of second-order effects that I think has a a lot of parallels to the the kind of nonprofit world, where when you think about a very mission-driven organization, those second-order effects are critical. the um, likelihood that somebody who becomes a passionate fan engages others and brings others people into your uh, into your orbit, recommends you and evangelizes you, is kind of critical. And really high quality content can uh, can can tip that balance. Uh, and then finally, there were just some you know, some of the kind of uh, more uh, what's the word like vanity metric type stuff. Like I remember that one of the places we got coverage was Lifehacker, which turned out to be. Uh, a, a site that the CEO frequented, and that was one of their best days in the office. Was the the day the CEO, <laughs> did, because they'd been covered on you know like literally on his commute to work, he'd seen his own company covered on the site that he read in the morning. Which uh, you know those kind of things are just serendipitous, but uh, but they they help the case.
0: Well, it's an outcome, and I imagine there's some people. Listening to this, that wouldn't mind their bosses giving them a, uh, a pat on the back or a raise. So, obviously, in, in the calculation, it's that, interesting here.
1: Just, so, yeah.
0: yeah. It's interesting here, though, you brought up the term vanity metrics. And I unfortunately see this a lot with what we'll call less than firms that simply say, we'll increase your traffic, which I think, first off, is a load of crap. And, and two, I believe that all traffic isn't necessarily good traffic. Agree or disagree?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, I agree one hundred percent. I think uh, the there are certain there are things you can do. I mean, not with terrible traffic, but with less good traffic, I think. So I wouldn't write off all. You know, like, there's a range of arguments here. One one end of the spectrum is we can just. Only target the kind of the perfect people with the perfect message, and just you know, really nail that that micro niche. Everything after that is progressively slightly worse, right? Each next thousand visitors are a little bit less relevant than the last, and uh, co- you know, collectively they're still adding value, but but there's diminishing returns eventually. But th- there's a lot of great technologies uh, these days that allow you to. Gradually, um, you know, use those for for things that will benefit you. So uh, retargeting a, an audience helps you make the most of. You know, this is the the slightly spooky thing where you go on a website and then you see that that website's adverts following you around. And then there's also things like uh, you know the the looking for the amplification. So even if people aren't in the target market to uh, to donate or support or directly help they might spread the word. And this is where the growth of, growth of social media has helped. If you are reaching, if you can reach influencers even if they're not directly in the target market, that can be qualified traffic as well. But these are all just kind of tangential points. The core thing is absolutely, like there, there are many times when the value is, uh, is the first, first few not the, not the not the crazy ones.
0: So will you have a academic background in mathematics with a degree from the University of Cambridge, you were a programmer and I think maybe most importantly, you were a floor sweeper in the telecom industry uh, <laughs> so, uh, it's clear that you know your stuff on this, for the average person listening that wants to sort of get a benefit from it how much, uh, how much do they need to study SEO in order to get that sort of 80-20 effect out of
1: this that's a great question. I think that uh, they, they don't need to go deep into the academics. Certainly, like the um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of come back to, to the, the qualification side of things. But I think that there's there's broadly speaking, two big uh, two big paths that can have high returns, depending on the organisation that somebody's working in. If you're working in a uh, in a small organisation with relatively limited budgets and a small website. There's going to be relatively little return to getting really great at the technical side of things. The, if your website is good enough, if it's hosted in a way, in a way that, you know, new pages that you write on your site get indexed in Google and you can find them if you search for them specifically, then that side of things is probably covered. And in that case, the biggest return you're going to find is in, uh, get, dabbling in the, Marketing keyword research side of things and the content creation side of things because if you understand what people are looking for and then you satisfy that need, you create some. Uh, you, you're the expert in your market. You create some great content, uh, then you will start to get it found, and it is a flywheel effect that will build over time. So I think that I would advise anybody on that side of things in a, in a small organisation with a website of you know tens to hundreds of pages, then the the ROI is really going to be probably in creating new content and targeting it towards. Uh, things people are searching for and there's, there's a whole bunch of great resources on uh, how, how to do that and um, yeah, we can I'm, I'm sure link to some of those uh, and share those with, you, with your audience the, um, the yeah, a few kind of places to, go, to get started and go looking uh, so we we partner pretty closely with uh, Moz.com, they're based up in Seattle we've been partners with them for a long time in fact they're, they're the reason that we have so we have a couple offices in the US, one in Seattle, one in New York and uh, they're the reason we have a Seattle office And they've got a bunch of beginner's guides that are a really great place to start. So if people search Moz.com beginner's guide, they'll find uh, a bunch of great resources, which are a good, good start. So that's one side of things. The technical side of things has a much bigger return on investment if you're working in a bigger organization. So if you've got a website with thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pages, there's a really big return to getting some of the technical details right. And that's where I would start diving into things like I mean, depending exactly how much technical background you've got. But you can start with... Uh, getting to grips with some basic HTML, and again on Moz there's a they call it the Web Developers Cheat Sheet, which is a pretty good place to uh, to kind of get started if you've got if you've done some basic HTML and you want to see how it fits together into a into a search uh, dimension. And then um, further down the line, there's a bunch of other places that um, you know, we write on our blog. Uh, the general Moz blog is a good place to to pick up some of that stuff, and you can just get sucked down the rabbit hole into into the geeky details where we live.
0: So well, it seems like every week thereabouts there's a new announcement from Google about some update to some animal that represents some search. And yeah. I have I've heard that, you know, SEO is comprised of content plus links plus basically artificial intelligence or narrow AI with regard to rank brain. So there's no real single human who can fully understand everything that factors into, you know, the tens of thousands of sub factors and how you're measuring uh, of what shows up where. So where is there like a diminishing return to studying this? And I want to push you on the the 80-20 of like, I'm listening right now, I do some of this research, what kind of results could I expect to get from my efforts, given that no single human can potentially understand it, whether or not you agree with that?
1: Sure. Uh, no, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, the, so actually, I'm going to go reverse order through that as well, actually. So if people are, are out there listening and they're, they're thinking, you know, how, how well could this work? Again, I would separate it into the two cases. If you've got a small website on, with very low traffic right now, you won't be thinking percentage terms, right? You know, 100% uplift might not be that exciting because you're only getting uh, a very small amount of, of visibility right now. In that case, um, you should look up some of the case studies around... Uh, people starting blogging and those kind of things. Um, that there's a few, again, on Moz that, that are um, worth checking out. And it's going to take months. It's going to take, I mean, years probably, really, to build a, a big visibility. But there's absolutely no reason that you couldn't be getting up into the tens or hundreds of thousands of, of, of visits a month uh, range. If you, even on a, even a one man band, can achieve that if they if they really commit to it. So anywhere up to that range is, is possible, depending on how much time you want to commit to it. Uh, the, if you're in a big organisation where it's more like you know you're already getting a ton of, of visibility, uh, the, it, it's a I mean it's a how long is a piece of string question, but we certainly see you know, double-digit percentage uplifts within a year is, uh, is is very common. If there's stuff that's actually wrong with the site, and in digging into it you find out uh, some technical blockers that are meaning that Google is just really held back from understanding what's on your site right now. Then you know multiples. You could you know you you might two x three x traffic if uh, if you find something like that. But I would say that's kind of serendipitous. The the most likely case is it's not horrible, but you could you could get you know, double digit percentage uplifts uh, for sure. So. And I would say that you can do that even without necessarily understanding the intricacies of the algorithm. So actually this is an area of active research, Aaron. So, uh, there's bits of the little bio that you gave of me that I would, I would stand behind. You know, I definitely have a degree in math, uh, the statistics side of things. Um, the, uh, I don't know that anybody would really call me a programmer. Uh, I, I, I dabble with, um, with, with writing my own bits of code. I don't really, I'm not a software engineer for sure. And, um, but we've been experimenting with some of this. And this. This has been an active area of research at Aaron. So we have a small uh, research and development team here at Distilled, and uh, one of the things we've been really working on it is trying to, trying to understand how much we understand the algorithm. And uh, I've been talking, uh, I can give a longer presentation on this, but the, the short version is, it's really badly understood. Uh, and, and I think that's true actually even largely within Google, like most Google engineers, uh, it, it, it's kind of it's become too complex. They talk themselves about 200 plus ranking factors, 200 plus different things about a website or web page that could factor into how well it ranks. And you don't need to have done much math uh, to to know that you can't do 200 dimensional functions in your head, uh, even if you had perfect information, which you don't. And so uh, the, this this stuff is pretty opaque, and the you know, the machine learning coming into it is only making it. Uh, harder to understand, and that's definitely accelerating. So, uh, Sundar, who's the, um, the CEO of Google since they split out into the alphabet structure, uh, is a big machine learning advocate. He's replaced uh, the previous head of search, Dr. Lamet Singhal, has been replaced with a guy called John Gianandria, who used to run the machine learning team at Google. There, there are obvious signs that this is accelerating, and uh, it's just becoming yet harder. So we've we actually done a bunch of studies on this. We we did a we did a study where we asked thousands of people in our industry to uh, to try and figure out, given two pages that both rank for a particular search, to to guess or to try and work out which one ranked better than the other, and. We had them do this for you know, tens of keywords, tens of searches, and it ended up with thousands of data points. And across our whole data set, it turned out that even people with more than three years experience in our field would no better than CoinFlip at figuring out which of two URLs would rank better for a particular search. So the answer is, it's, it's pretty poorly understood. Uh, we're really going down the the, the the rabbit hole of this. and try, We run a lot of experiments and for- Yeah, well, I, I
0: think you're talking around a topic that's actually really cool. Your company has developed, as far as I know, one of the only tools out there to actually A-B test. Is this correct? A-B test yeah. the performance of pages based on SEO and tweets that's right. that you're making.
1: Yeah, and so you know, this won't be useful for the the, the smaller sites in your audience. You know, it, it's just simply yeah, not possible. Cool stuff. To, you can talk about it. <laughs> that's cool. So it's just simply not possible to A/B test on a small website. But yes, when we're working with a big, uh, a big site, so for example, uh, uh, a big e-commerce site with thousands of products, we are yeah, we built a, a platform uh, that we call the ODN, the Optimization Delivery Network, which functions kind of like a CDN, like a content delivery network. And enables us to, as you said, split test for SEO. And that's where, that's in that case where, you know, a, a 3% uplift in traffic could be hundreds of thousands of dollars or more. And, uh, the, so we're really kind of eking out those, um, the, those last benefits from getting the page as good as it possibly could be in Google's eyes. Um, and so, yeah, so we're, that's the kind of experimental end uh, for us. And we're doing that because, yeah, when you get down to those tweak level, you know those one percent factors. Even Google engineers probably couldn't do that test. You have to literally essentially do science. You have to run these kind of um, uh, double blind kind of tests to, to figure out uh, what's going to work and what's not. But that shouldn't put off your smaller your, your listeners at small, smaller organizations who can get great benefits just from doing the basics well. They don't need to know if they've done you know the ninety five percent version or the ninety eight percent version that it'll be better than what they had before all right they just, well i'm gonna
0: i'm is, gonna have to interrupt here because i feel like this is a moment um and by the way i never let my guests prepare for pro con this is where we divide up the issue of is it worth it for a let's say small to mid-sized nonprofit to study seo would you like the pro side or con side where we'll be sending our thoughts back and forth on this issue
1: Oh fantastic. Uh, should they study SEO? I can think. either side of that. Um, but why don't I take no because that's uh, uh, that, that feels like I'm um, staying hey, intellectually oh, boy. Yeah, okay. yeah.
0: So I have to defend why you should study and you have to basically say why you should not. Uh, why don't you start since you are a guest?
1: Sure thing. So, yeah, in, when we're talking in the, in the small to mid-size, that's where uh, the trends are that Google is going to get better and better at understanding um, your site. They're already improving this to, to, to great effect. And I think there'll be a higher return for most um, most small to mid-size organizations in focusing on um, kind of more specific uh activities and initiatives. So um, I would focus in on content strategy with a user centric focus rather than necessarily what does Google think of this content. Uh, and I would focus in on a uh an audience development strategy where I was trying to capture, particularly capture email addresses still, even with the rise of social. Um, I think growing big email list is, is has a huge return. And uh, building the the fastest, best website I can um, focusing on the users. We'll have the highest return to them.
0: So Will, that sounds like a pro argument to me, so I feel like I'm taking an early lead. Obviously, the best way to build that email list and all those activities uh, is basically by studying a bit about SEO, because if you don't know what you're doing and you don't understand where you're going, you'll never get there. And knowing that, over time, as we talked about before, the flywheel, uh, if you never start pushing, it'll never get going. So these are incremental movements that you can, over time, probably be pushing over half of your traffic. So why, on the con side, would you ever argue that someone should not aim
1: to double their traffic, Will? (laughs) Well, so uh, the... I'm gonna say that I think you're actually making my case, which is to get started. (laughs) Like, don't, don't, don't worry about the academics, don't study this stuff, start producing. You will learn far more from producing your own content, looking at your own analytics, Optimizing your own um, uh, user experience, so so listening to what your audience says to you in uh, email feedback, in surveys that you run for them, in uh, you know in face to face meetups. Do they like what you're doing? Are they sharing your content? You will learn so much more by doing, and more importantly, the uh, th- this is one of those things where the best time to plant a tree is ten years ago, uh, but the second best time is right now. The If you'd have started writing content five years ago, you'd be in a fantastic position uh, now, and you need to get started. If if this is not something you're doing already, yeah, don't don't dive into the academics of it, don't start learning the tweaks and the 1% stuff, do the 95%, which is to start producing the content your audience wants.
0: But I have to come back to you. If you don't know where you're going, how will you get there? And if you are instead 10 years ago planting daisies versus maybe acorns, or walnuts you your don't, don't grow place. as large and so I'm saying if, if you haven't studied and understand what you're you're targeting the types of keywords you're looking for you could end up with a bunch of blog posts about just the name of your organization and all of your good works rather than topics that would grow into mighty oak trees
1: for sure and I, and I guess as with many of these things the uh Maybe where we end up is somewhere in the middle. The um, th- there are certainly mistakes you could make that would that would make all of your efforts maybe not valueless, but worth a lot less. But there's a lot of these areas where you can uh, you can reverse the technical details in later. So if you've built an, uh, a library of great content that isn't uh, that it doesn't have great internal linking and isn't navigatable, you know, it isn't isn't structured very well internally, then once you've built that asset up and a lot of people are finding it already you can make some tweaks and improvements that will suddenly give you step change results in traffic and that's the time once you've got that base asset that's the time that i would be investing in what i would kind of call uh yeah like learning seo specifically as in how is google thinking about this stuff
0: well well this has been another episode of mini episode of procon i think you performed admirably uh we'll see we'll see which way we swayed the audience hopefully uh it is somewhere in the middle uh those are excellent points in there before we go into our rapid fire round i wonder if you could speak maybe a little bit more about the final component of maybe using metrics to understand whether or not we've planted the right type of content what type of numbers should I expect to see? You know, I threw out, you know, 50% of your traffic should come from Google, like out of nowhere, seemingly.
1: Yeah, um, I would say these things vary quite a lot depending on niche and uh, space. There's there's a lot of of factors going on there. The the stuff that I would particularly start to watch out for is the, um, uh, again, thinking at the small scale, it's, you're looking for stories in your numbers, so you're looking for um, the. You won't necessarily have the ability to get to statistical confidence, or uh, you know, to run these kind of complex A/B tests or, or, or whatever else. But what you might find is that you have questions, right? You have questions like, uh, does it do the kind of people who read the content that we're publishing on our blog? do they go ahead and do the thing that we're hoping they will do, whether that is sign up to our email list or donate money or like, you know, like we said before, whatever those things are. So I would start at the basic end of saying, start trying to think about what those questions are that you have. And there are ways to measure them. The great thing about digital is that uh, all this stuff is measurable and there are ways of of joining up those dots and and connecting up those bits. So, uh, and a lot of it is doable on your own without large investments of money. In many cases, the tools are free. You know, Google Analytics is a a fantastic uh, measurement platform. And if you just do the basics to get above the -the out-of-the-box setup, so you set up a few uh, goals in Google Analytics, you set up a few um, uh, events that you're looking to track, the things that you're trying to get people to do, all of your data will become vastly more uh, useful to you because you'll be able to... You, you won't just be looking at those raw traffic numbers that we were talking about earlier. You know, like oh, I got an extra thousand visits today. Was that any? Was that useful? I have no idea. You will be able to tell if you've just done that basic kind of setting up of goals. So uh, it, I would just encourage you to, 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 but if you do one thing on the measurement side, just look to set up a few goals in your in your analytics.
0: So Will, maybe I'm I'm listening right now. I'm wondering if you've ever come across like an organization or a topic where you're like, you know what, there is no earthly content you could possibly write to bring attention
1: to it? Uh, the There's plenty of organizations where there's no content you could write that I would be interested in, <laughs> but I wouldn't be in the target market for them. If you have a target market, then it is very unlikely that there is not some kind of content that that target market is looking for and the, the classic ones that get thrown out on our side of the you know on the kind of commercial or or, or um, business side of these kind of discussions is stuff like you know what if you sell uh, you know hardware screws and nails and you know, whatever else and it's like well you need to step back and think about not the, not necessarily the thing you sell, but what is the reason that people are buying those things? Right, they're doing uh, home construction projects, or they're you know they're renovating something, or they're building something, and there's tons of content around that. So start stepping back out to the mission, start stepping back out to the purpose, away from the um, uh, maybe the, the micro mechanics of what you think you do, step out to why you do it, and the, the, the content environment will open up. And the only way that there is nothing you could write about is if there's no market.
0: Wow, that's a fantastic way to think about it and hopefully makes uh, a lot of this conversation relevant. Alrighty, we are moving into our rapid fire round. Uh, short answers, please. What is one tech tool or website that you've started using in the last year that has sort of changed your internal game?
1: Uh, so I've been talking about Google Analytics. This is probably more useful for the slightly bigger organizations who might be listening, but we've actually started using HubSpot. Uh, and HubSpot produced a lot of great content themselves. We use their tool because it connects up. Uh, the So we basically replaced our email marketing software, our CRM, and parts of our analytics, and it's all connected into one system. So we can see uh, people who opened this email and visited this page on the website Turned into that customer down the road in the CRM.
0: What is something coming up in the coming year that has you the most excited?
1: Ooh, good question. Uh, so uh, the the most excited professional thing, most excited professional thing, is a very much not guaranteed. But we're working. We talked a little bit about some of the R and D work that we're doing. One of the things that we're toying with is applying machine learning to try and learn about Google's machine learning. So we're trying to, that question I was talking about earlier, trying to get people to be better than a coin flip, at like figuring out which of two pages will rank better. We're trying to solve that problem with computers, have a computer answer that question, and essentially learn Google's algorithm with a computer. Right now it's better than people. So it's getting it right about two thirds of the time, whereas people are only getting it right about 50% of the time. What will get me super excited is if we can get that to 75 or 80%, then it starts becoming actually useful. And uh, I think that, I would be, um, be ha- having a party that day
0: man we are so close to the singularity we have stupid <laughs> yeah, machine, we that learning, we machine learning understanding machine learning but yeah, the yeah. problem is it makes sense um, until you have to make a machine learning algorithm to understand your own alright <laughs> talk, talk about a mistake that you have made in your professional your professional career that has shaped the way you do things
1: so many to choose from <laughs> um, <laughs> so um I think one of the things that, uh, well, so yeah, uh, uh, one really concrete example. So we, we run a conference series called Search Love. And um, we run that conference in London and a couple of venues in the US, on, on the East and West coasts of the US. And these days we run it London, Boston, San Diego. Uh, but a few years ago, we, we uh, set out to, uh, to try and run one in San Francisco. And uh, we ended up having to cancel that conference after we'd announced it and after we'd started selling tickets and we re- refunded everyone and basically said it wasn't going to happen because tickets were, were too slow. Like we we just didn't uh, we didn't quite um, just wasn't going where we wanted to go. Didn't didn't do well, and we made a bunch of related mistakes, which were all um, I think in a sense good mistakes, as in sometimes you've got to leap into the unknown. And I think that's true in any kind of business venture. This was our first venture out to the West coast for, for running an event. Um, there were things like not realizing that our venue was a little bit out of the city, uh, not realizing quite how packed the schedule of, um, events and meetups and so forth was in, in, in San Francisco, just a bunch of stuff like that. It wasn't also, wasn't very differentiated. So there was no particular reason to come to our event versus any others. And we remedied a bunch of that stuff with San Diego where we, uh, we, we, we picked a venue which was very differentiated. So we, we run that at Paradise Point, which is, feels like an island, but it's actually a peninsula, but it, it feels like a, a destination place, right? It's, it's called Paradise Point, literally like going to paradise. Um, but one of the things that we've learned over the years is that as our business has grown, so we, we started out, bootstrapped, we bootstrapped all the way up. Uh, we're, we're still a fairly small organization, but obviously we've grown along the way. And one of the things you realize is that your mistakes just get more and more expensive. So, what you know, in our first year of business, uh, a mistake that cost us a few hundred dollars, would have been a big deal. Uh, then it was like, if it's a few thousand dollars, it's a big deal. This was a, this was one of those tens of thousands of dollars uh, mistakes. And um, the, the the basic the big mistake was we didn't um, we we ended up on the hook for a lot of the costs despite canceling it. We left it too late to cancel. We got past the point where we could. Um, We have to pay deposits and all that kind of stuff. And I think that one of the big things that we've learned is kind of a lesson from the lean startup, which is a lot of people misunderstand the MVP in lean startup, the um, minimum viable product. The minimum viable product is the product bit that's misleading. It's not necessarily a product at all. It's the figure out if there's uh, an audience for the thing you're trying to build is trying to understand, like attack the riskiest point. And so in other cases, we've done things where, more, almost more Kickstarter-like, not quite Kickstarter, but things where we have essentially found the demand before we've done the thing. And um, I think, uh, I think yeah, that came from that whole set of lessons where we made um, bigger and bigger mistakes, culminating in canceling that, that one conference, which luckily has gone from strength to strength in the other cities.
0: Do you believe that not-for-profits can successfully go out of business?
1: Uh, fascinating question again. Some should be able to. Yes, I mean that I, I'm an optimist, right? I'm, to a fault, optimistic that uh, even when things are bad, that things are going to get better. And so I guess it's it's through those through that lens. But I have to believe there are problems that can be solved. You know things that can go away uh, that, that were a problem at one point that are no longer a problem, and I think that's how it, you know that yes, there are certain places where if you if you had a mission to eradicate something and it was possible to actually eradicate it, then yeah, job done. I mean, not like global job done. I guess you, you know the, I'm sure there are other problems you can go and go and tackle, but at the um, at a small kind of focused level, for sure. I'm an optimist about that. What is something you think? you should stop
0: doing or your organization should stop doing? Uh,
1: I need to, um, so actually I I was uh, talking about, I mentioned this on Twitter earlier today. I I read a book by a guy called Patrick Lencioni and I would recommend his books to anybody running any kind of anything, any kind of organization. Uh, He wrote uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which is excellent. They're all quite short, they're kind of parable-like, very easy reading five dysfunctions of a team, uh, habits of an extraordinary executive, and uh, temptations of a CEO. And one of those temptations is, is mine. I, I think every, everybody will have some set of them that really resonate, but one of them is, is mine, which he says is common among analytical thinkers. You know, we, we talked about my math background, which is the temptation to want to be right. And that's, I need, that's what I need to stop. I need, he talks about how it is so much more valuable in a leadership position where other people are looking to you for guidance to be concrete and timely and fast and uh, um, yeah, like specific now than right later. And that you can always change your mind and explain yourself obviously, uh, explain what's changed or explain what new information you have if you need to change your mind later. But people will find it way more valuable if you can be concrete and specific and decisive now Uh, and so yeah I I have this failing of talking about talking in vague terms talking about growing this or doing better at that Uh, and he makes a very compelling argument that I need to stop doing that and I need to be better at saying I I want this to be up 20% in three weeks time tell them what
0: to do and let them surprise you on how they do it alright if you had a magic wand for the nonprofit industry or social impact industry a Harry Potter style piece since you are from the UK Uh what would it do
1: what would it do Um, it would connect the organizations that can most make a difference with the people who care about those issues I feel this as a as an individual that I sometimes there are certain things that I care about and I'm not quite sure who's working on it or where the best place is to put my, either my money or my resources, or my time or my evangelism or you know, whatever else it might be. I know there's a bunch of people working on this, but that's part of the problem. There's a bunch of people working on it. I would have, a, it would just be, it would be literally magic, uh, you know, the Harry Potter one. Um, and so the, um, yeah, I, I think that's probably, you can see the connection to search, right? In some sense, <laughs> if you do your job well and you publicize yourself well, Google is that magic wand, but um, obviously it's not magic, and you have to do a ton of work. So I think I'd I'd make that bit effortless.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. As a final wrap-up, how do people find you? How do people help
1: you? Uh, Thank you. Yeah, it's been great to be on here. Thank you uh, for for having me along. Um, So you can find my company at distilled.net. We write on the blog there. You can find the links and and all that kind of stuff. You can find me, uh, Will Critchlow. My surname is is C-R-I-T-C-H-L-O-W. I'm at Will Critchlow on Twitter. Uh, And obviously, you can find my writing on the the website and so forth as well. And I occasionally write at willcritchlow.com.
0: Brilliant. Well, thanks for joining us and putting up with my uh, pro, cons and interrogating questions. Yeah, you performed admirably.
1: It was great fun. Thanks for having
0: me along. Speaking as a geek, I loved that conversation and it it was only a sheer force of will that made me, well, will, yes, made me stop uh, the conversation because you realize how much of a rabbit hole this is. And hopefully you can find a bit of that excitement. Hopefully you realize that, wait a minute, after I understand some of the basics, if I pick that target, if I pull back my lens, not from just what we have maybe in our organization, but think about how people are using the screws right using the screws the finite pieces to build houses that we can join a conversation that will bring the types of awareness that will bring the types of people and audience to our traffic will said it pretty well when he said as long as you have a target audience there is upside here there is a good reason to start writing content but also temper your expectations because you know what it is a flywheel a giant wheel that you slowly push slowly push until it begins to build momentum and it is exciting because I have seen it in organization after organization that invests a little over time and then suddenly they're looking at their traffic and saying wow we're getting pretty big and that's an amazing feeling but it takes that investment and it's accessible I hope this uh, was enough of a push to either start or maybe increase your efforts in the content that you're creating that adds value to pull in your audience and get them to the next level. Again, show notes, there's a ton uh, coming to you. This is episode 76 and you can find them at wholewhale.com podcast. Thanks for joining us. This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today's music brought to you by the one and only Greg Thomas, gregthomasmusic.org. This guy is awesome. He also does custom beats, tunes, lyrics, you name it, for let's say your organization has got videos that you need some solid background to or anthem or theme music. He is a great resource for it. And thanks to our intern, Megan McGray, who is doing a wonderful job editing our podcast this summer. Thanks, Megan.